everyone again. Um, Merry Christmas Eve. Uh, um, we were singing, and you guys, read these, some of these songs at Christmas time, they're just packed, you know, like the lyrics are just full. And was listening, when we were singing that line um, where it says, uh, enjoy to the world, where it says, he makes the nations prove. You, re- you hear that line, it's like, whoa, there's so much in that. He makes the nations prove. And now you think about the, the distress that people are having about events going on in the world right now. What's going on with Israel and Palestine? What's going on with Ukraine and all these other things? And I don't know the answers to those questions on like the micro scale on the right now. I don't know the answers to those questions. But I do know this, and this is the beautiful thing about knowing and serving God. He gives us the ultimate certainties. And one of the ultimate certainties we have is that when God is done working, whatever it is he's working, around the world and throughout, you know, he's working everything, everywhere, all the time. At the end of it, he will make these nations and all nations prove the glory of his righteousness. And that's what we have to look forward to. We know that that's the ultimate outcome. So I don't have answers for everything that's happening right now, but I can say that God is not absent in the midst of any conflict or any trouble that we see. And even sending the Son of God, what was he called? The Prince of what? Peace. And again, that's not, it's not a right now and right every second. It's just all peace all the time, but there's an ultimate peace that's coming. And so we have a lot to celebrate. Let's pray together and we're going to just enjoy the coming of Jesus together. Lord, we thank you for the glory of God. Thank you that we look up to heaven and we see a glorified Savior seated at the right hand of God. We see God the Father seated on the throne, ruling and reigning. We see Jesus waiting for his, to be able to put up his feet on a footstool that's made up of his enemies. And that we are the glorious bride of Christ who is raised up also, seated with him in heavenly places to share in his victory. Thank you that we can be here today. Thank you, Lord, that even as broken as our culture is, there are still little little narrow channels where you are still being honored, Lord God, and we want to widen those channels, and we want to be a part of honoring you today. And so I ask, Jesus, in your holy name, that you would help me to, to, to share the story of your coming with due honor and respect for your awesomeness, your power, and your great name. We love you, Lord, and thank you for being the gift of God for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a a verse that some of you may be familiar with. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, it's from what they call the Shema, it's the, the blessing of the nation of Israel, but it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And this is an important piece of your theology, what you believe about God. Who is God? What is God like? Well, one thing that you have to know about God is that God is one, that there's one God. But, God is, but just because God is one does not mean that God is simple, and it doesn't mean that God is easy to understand, because we spend our lives searching out God. We spend our lives searching out who he is, trying to understand him, trying to pull everything together. But this verse was the prevailing revelation of God for many centuries. I am that I am. The Lord God is one. But then, 
As we keep on reading and going down through the story of God as it's been revealed in the scripture, comes the most, one of the most significant revelations in history. The God who is one, the one God, has a son. And we don't know much about him. And as I was reading this, I was thinking through, and it's like you start to hear these just whispers of a son. And now you guys are thinking, don't go like TikTok culture on me right now, because it's like if somebody's got a kid and we didn't know about it, that's all scandalous, right? <laughs> this is actually like one of the, God is slowly revealing to us just how intricate and complex he is, because God also has a spirit. And there's these three are making up the one God, and it's a mystery, it's beyond our comprehension, but the one God has a son. In Proverbs 30, verse 4, Sean, you guys know Sean, probably many of you, Sean, he works in the, serves in the sound booth sometimes and on the prayer team. But Sean and I were talking about this verse and just how powerful it is. In Psalm 30, verse 4, who has ascended into heaven and descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped the waters in his garment? These are significant things, right? These aren't easy to do. Who has established all the ends of the earth? And then, and then this question, it's like a, it's a prophecy, and it's, and it's just so like compelling. And it's in one question, and it says, what is the name, what is his name or his son's name? Surely you know. And that question was left unanswered, hanging out there in history for a very, very long time. What is his name? Well, he's the one God. What is his name? His name's Jehovah. What's his name? Well, he's the Lord Almighty. Well, what's his son's name? It's just quiet. What's his son's name? Surely you must know. Then we come to Proverbs uh, in chapter 8, verse 27. We have what we would call kind of a personification of wisdom. But the language here is very much something like a son with a father. It says in verse 27, when he established the heavens, I was there. Now, many of you would like to have like, you're, you know, you're doing something, you're building something, you want to have your son or your child with you, right? And they're just there with you, doing things with you, working with you. He said, I was there when he inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above when the springs of the deep became fixed, when he set for the sea its boundary so that the water would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world, his earth, and having my delight. This is the son speaking wisdom personified and having my delight in the sons of men. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Working because what, what we know that the, God, the Bible says that God spoke. The spirit was hovering, more or less waiting for instructions. But the Bible says all the worlds, plural, were made by the word of God. And who is the word of God? It's the son. The son is the word that gave life to everything. Right there beside the Father, daily his delight. A master workman. But I love this. It says, rejoicing in the world, his earth, having my delight in the sons of men. So the Son was with the Father in eternity, having his delight in who? 
in us. What a thought. What a thought for God. You think you're John 3.16, for God so loved the world. You know, Jesus, it wasn't just God the Father. Jesus loved the world. Jesus had his delight in the sons of men. So the son, though definitely separate and distinct from the other sons of God because he's in heaven with the Father and the others are still on the earth, but he would delight in God's other sons. And the very next verse, Proverbs 8.32 says, Now therefore, this is wisdom, or I believe this is a picture of the son, is there now for, or now therefore, O sons, listen to me, for blessed are they who keep my ways. So the son, this son, would show the other sons the way of life if only they will listen to him. This is all yet to be fulfilled, right? So we have another revelation in the Bible that we call the suffering servant, Isaiah 53, 1 and 2. It says, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And what does it say? For he grew up before him, before God the Father, like a tender shoot. And like a root out of parched ground. And it says, he has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. Isn't it interesting that God made all of us in his image? And when he sends his son, he sends him devoid of natural attraction. Isn't that interesting? And I think what he's really pointing toward here is the fact that he would have a different kind of attraction. And even Jesus said while he was in the earth, he said, he said, but if I, if I be lifted up, and this was not exaltation, praise, worship, it wasn't talking about that as much. It was talking about being lifted up on a cross. He said, if I, being lifted up, when I'm lifted up, he said, I will what? Draw all men to myself. He didn't need natural attraction to get people to come to him because he was given by God something much deeper, something much greater. I will satisfy the needs of the soul. I will meet the need of the spirit. I'll meet the need for forgiveness. I'll meet the need for cleansing, for your consciences to be made clear. And Isaiah 53.10 says, the Lord, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief which is surprising, right, that this is how this would all play out. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, and he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. So somehow, God would crush this son, and through this, the son will bring forth other sons and please God in the process. I talked with a guy years ago who was a Jewish, um, he was a Messianic Jew, and the question he said was often put to him, Isaiah 53, and he said, people ask us, well, how do you, knowing the story of Jesus, like how, how, how do you read Isaiah 53 and not believe in Jesus? And he said, he said, Jewish scholars will read this whole passage and they will plainly tell you, we don't know who it's talking about. And for us, who have seen the Son, and we know how it all played out and how every single prophecy in that passage was fulfilled through Jesus with specificity, you know, exactly fulfilled, we say, how could you not see it? And yet, it's a mystery. Doesn't the Bible say that? These things are mysteries. 
And that the, and in some sense, in some way or another, God has to reveal the Son in the heart. Micah 5.2, I think we heard this one just a little bit ago. It says, as for you, Bethlehem, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From, from you, one will go forth for me to be a what? A ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago. He's not just an average ruler. He's got ancient, he has an ancient history from the days of eternity, it says. Therefore, he will give them up. Therefore, God will give Israel up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. Even in these passages here, you have like, you have like, eons and decades and all this like just smashed into this tiny little space because it's basically saying the son would apparently come as a baby at a time that Israel was given over to bondage and we know that that was bondage under Rome and he would gather up the other sons of God so we have the son comes and he's going to be a ruler but his history is ancient he goes way back his, his, his history is old as God and, but he's going to come, and it says the remainder of his brethren, brethren will return to the sons of Israel, so they're going to be all gathered in. In Psalm 22, 9 and 10, it says, Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breasts, upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. So God would be the son's God, not from infancy or from childhood, but from before his birth, from the time he was in his mother's womb, he was, he was, God was his God. So this is not just your average person, not just your average birth. And so in, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, it says, for a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. And this is beautiful. It says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. That God himself will do it in his own strength and in his own way and for his own glory. So the son, God's son, will be given to us, it seems to say, right? As an ordinary child, but he will not, he'll come like ordinary children come as far as we understood it, but he would not remain so. All rule and authority will be given to him, even an eternal kingdom, and his name would be higher than any other name. I want us to see all these things because if you live with the story of Jesus, it's so easy for us just to settle in and to forget the majesty, to forget the eternal plan, to lose sight of to lose sight of the significance of what was happening, how much was all brought together for what the scripture calls the consummation of the ages. 
It's like the ages came smashing together and merged into one at one point, and it was at the giving of the Son of God, the consummation of the ages. And so we arrive at Matthew verse, chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ, a name and a title. Jesus, which means Jehovah is salvation. And Christ, which means the promised one, the Messiah, the Redeemer. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, so there's the lineage of from David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For, listen to this, he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, Jehovah, has become salvation. You must call him this. You must name him this. Because this is exactly what he's going to do. He's going to save their people, his people, from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Luke 2, 8 through 14. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel. So it starts out with an angel and now a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among men with whom he is pleased. So God has a son. And he's giving his son for the life of the world. Let's, let's stand up together. So we started with a question. And the first part of the question was, who could do all these things? Who could gather the wind in his fist, the waters in his garments? Who's established all the ends of the earth? What's his name? Let's all say together, the Lord Almighty. The Lord Almighty. And what is the name of his son? Let's all say that precious name together. Are you ready? Jesus. Jesus. We are standing in the glory light of this revelation. 
God has a son, and Jesus is his name. Jesus, the son, was given to men as a man, and he was given for men so that we may become sons as well as children of God and heirs of the promise. We have received such a gift from God, such a gift, and we don't want to take it for granted. The gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we were, and the world waited a very, very long time for this revelation. And to have received it now and to know, to know the truth about who is the Son of God and to know that, that by believing in him and calling on his name, we all can be saved, that the thing he came to do is fulfilled in us by faith is incredible. Luke chapter 2, verse 14. I want us to read this together. And I want us to really think about what it says. It says, glory to God in the highest, on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Um, some passages say, some translations say, on earth, peace. And it says, um, and toward men upon whom his favor rests. And if you're in Christ today, you are a person upon whom the favor of God has rested. A person who is approved in Christ. A person who he chose, the Bible says, from before the foundation of the world. Which just blows our minds. It's unbelievable. But that's how we came to be in Christ. But the angels sing this, glory to God in the highest. They're like, it's, you know, think about it. I said the consummation of the ages. And the angels are saying, it's happened. It's finally happened and all the glory belongs to God. So let's read this verse together with heart and with passion. Let's read these words aloud. Are you ready? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Praise God. Let's glorify the name of Jesus together.